Right, is this on? Brilliant. Okay, there we go. Um, before I start and try and live up to Pete's expectations, um, I'm just, we're just going to watch a video and then Melissa's going to do a short reading for us. So, um, Chatham, can you take it away, please? Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right. That's your word. brother and a baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, I'm sorry. 
Lift up your head, fisherman. What do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. well yes you James and John come follow me I'll take the fish into market and settle up Simon's death I'll get some help to fill both of these boats are you sure yes go what will you tell Ima <laughs> we've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives and you ask me what will I say when you miss supper <laughs> go now So, you sure you don't want to do this just a few more times? Well, we'll make a great team on the boat. <laughs> and is Melissa here to... Oh, brilliant, thanks. I think it's on. Yeah, it's on. Fourteen, twenty-two verses uh, through to 23. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because of the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take Courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And that, I've lost it. Nope, I don't have it. I've got 27, that's it. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, command me to come to you on the water. Come, said Jesus. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. 
Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of Peter. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they had climbed back into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Oh, thank you so much, Melissa. Sorry about the admin errors with the verses there. And thanks to the AV team as well for um, getting that clip sorted out. I know that wasn't easy. And uh, welcome, everybody. It's great to see you. And uh, welcome, everybody, at home. I hope you're very comfortable with a croissant and a cup of coffee, maybe even a pins on a day like this. Might be nice. Um, it, it is fantastic to be back here again and um, to, to be looking at this, um, at this whole subject of calling and mission. And as I was thinking about this, I think, you know, calling is ultimately about, for, uh, about following a caller. And the Gospels are so much a lesson in how to follow Jesus on this thrill-filled adventure that we're on with him. Um, now, it was... Let's see if we can get this. Where are we okay, so it was Easter of one of my college holidays. Um, and as in previous years, I was working on a hill farm up in the Scottish borders. I was working with a seasoned shepherd, and we had two indispensable tools. One was a quad bike, and the other was a sheepdog. Now, on this particular day, our young sheepdog had decided to go rogue. Now, this sheepdog, called Billy, was born an excellent sheepdog. Everything he needed was imprinted in his mind, and he did his job perfectly as long as he listened to instructions. You know, how far out to run away from us, which sheep to bring in, which, which sheep to go slowly round so that he kept the lambs and the ewes together. But sure enough, on this occasion, he'd headed off over the hill, and there were sheep, there were ewes and lambs going off in different directions. And trust me, if you had been within two miles of us on that day, you would have known that that sheepdog had gone wrong because my colleague turned the air blue with his language. And sure enough, it took us about an hour and a half to get the, sh the ewes back with their lambs because they're not the brightest of animals. Now, the book of Matthew is, you know, it's obviously an account of Jesus, but it's also this story of Peter and his ups and downs and how he discovered in deeper and deeper ways what he was called to do and, and, and stuck to it. And it all started on that lake shore, as we saw. So I've entitled this talk, How Not to Go Rogue. And we've, we've spent the last few weeks looking at you know, how we discover what our calling is, but this is more about how we stay on calling. And I do apologize in advance if, if you hate James Bond or don't know very much about James Bond. Stick with the sheepdog analogy. It, it should work fine. But, um, but something I've noticed with James Bond, since the 1960s, he's got less and less good at following instructions. Has anyone noticed that? He, it's now a defining feature that he cannot stay on mission at all. And depending on how old you are, one of these characters will, will mean more to you than, than another. But by the time it gets to this chap on the right, this is M, by the way, James Bond's boss, if you don't know, 
Uh, but by, by the time we get to him, James Bond, you know, he, he may as well just ask him to go and make a cup of tea for all the difference it'll make. He goes off and does his own thing. Now, he's not a bit like Charlie's Angels. Charlie's Angels get the instruction from the little box, and they go off and they, they do their job. I'm not saying, you know, that there's any kind of gender stereotypes here, but, but you know, they, they do what they're meant to, don't they? And, and in some ways, you know, you can take these metaphors too far, obviously, but, but we've, been, we've all been given an awesome calling. Now, some of, some of us may have feel that there's something more specific. Some of us have, you know, have that initial calling that Jesus gave Peter when he got out of the boat just to follow him. Um, but there's always, yes, and, and we're called to use our ingenuity and, and skills. And hopefully over the last three to four weeks, you've, been, you've had a chance to sort of press into that a little bit and, and how it makes sense to you. You might have realized that, that what you've been doing so far, you know, what you're doing at the moment is actually on track with your calling and that's good and you're just pushing into it. It might be that you've been kind of stirred to, to push into something that God told you a long time ago. Um, I don't know where you're at, but wherever we're at, there's definitely yeah, potential for us to begin to lose sight a little bit of, of what God's called us to. So here are some possible things that might be going wrong. It could be that we're getting a bit comfortable. Um, it could be that we felt a really strong call to move to Winchester or to wherever you are, and we found that actually... You know, we've got settled into life, things are going on, and, and, and we're getting a bit comfortable. And maybe we've taken our eye off the ball. Maybe we're saying, oh, I'll get back to that calling, I'll get back to that mission when we've got these other things sorted out. Maybe God's called you to something that you're not seeing a lot of fruit from at the moment, and you're getting a bit impatient. And I've been there, like, you know, you, you, you've got this great vision of how God's going to change something, but actually, you don't, you're not really on board with the timing, and you might not even be on board with the way he's asking you to do it. So you begin to take matters into your own hands. It, may, it might be that you just feel totally exhausted or totally inadequate for the task ahead of you, and you're quite frankly just thinking about packing it in. Or maybe you're having a hard time that Jesus is big enough and that he can do it and that what he's promised and those promises he's made to you about what he's called you to do just seem too big and you're getting a bit scared. Well, the disciples have all been there, were all there too. They, they had similar uh, situations, similar issues. And indeed, many, uh, many of the heroes of the faith did as well. In fact, almost all the ones you read about in the Bible had a moment where they went off track a bit. Um, if we think about Abraham, who we've heard about already, uh, or let, let's start with Moses. He killed an Egyptian, he murdered an Egyptian, and then he came down the mountain a bit later on with some stone tablets God had literally given him, and he smashed them. Um, then we've got uh, uh, Abraham, who, because he was scared, managed to pretend that his wife was in fact his sister and gave her away to the king of Egypt to marry. Now, we've all thought about that, but we haven't actually done it. I hope. Um, <laughs> now, Peter, Peter also has, has a similar... Um, uh, 
I don't know what you call it, he, 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 he goes on impulse, doesn't he? Um, and, you know, there's, there's the time when uh, he's, he's on the mountain with, uh, with Jesus, who's being transfigured with Moses and Elijah, and he suggests a house-building program, some shelters, some gazebos, perhaps. Or another time Jesus is in trouble, so he whips out his sword and lops off someone's ear. And then, obviously, we know that time when Jesus is in his hour of need, and Peter says that he doesn't even know him. Uh, there are times later on where Peter is getting comfortable with a group of believers that he's hanging out with because, because they're Jews, despite having already been challenged by God over welcoming Gentiles. And it takes Paul to come along and, and kick him back out of his comfort zone. Peter's often failing, but he's always learning. Now, the interesting thing about the walking on the water incident is that it does start so well. You know, he doesn't follow that impulse of just leaping straight out of the boat. He, he checks with Jesus. He checks with Jesus that, you know, this is what he wants him to do and that he's going to give him the power to do it. Now, Jesus is not wanting us to assume that we know what he's telling us to do all the time. John Ortberg, in his book all about this story, points out that people sometimes make reckless decisions and then try to rationalize them with a veneer of spiritual language. I'm sure I've been guilty of that. And he says it's quite possible to make courageous, high-risk decisions that are stupid. Just because they're courageous, just because they're high-risk, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're what Jesus is asking us to do. But once Peter had the go-ahead, he was off. And unlike James Bond, who sometimes manages to pull it out of the hat, but I won't give, a, you know, won't give any spoilers in case you haven't seen the latest film, um, it doesn't tend to work out so well when we do it. Now, it was a beautiful, hot summer's day in the mountains of Tajikistan. A glacier high on a ridge was melting at an alarming rate, and it was just saturating the mud and the rubble that was on either side of the mountain. And it eventually got to the point that the slit gave way and a huge mudslide went careering down either side of the mountain. On one side, in Barsem, it completely blocked a river, a big river, and a lake formed behind that dam and it flooded a village, it flooded a load of farmland and it cut off electricity to the region for weeks. On the other side of the mountain, there was a mud flow that went down towards a smaller village called Booney and it took out some houses, it caused some, fl caused some flooding, and it, it damaged some fields. Now, we were there at the time, and as you know, someone working for an aid agency, and as someone who worked in the village of Booney, I felt we had to do something. Barsem was getting all the support, they had their tent village, they had their blankets, they had their food, and the government was busy building them new houses in a safer place, but Booney really hadn't had very much. And and I thought, yeah, you know, this is it. This is, this is what I've got to do. This is what I've been called to the mountains to do, to help people. And, you know, we're, we're going to help out our friends in Booney. But pretty, and so I, I, I began to apply all, you know, my best project management uh, experience. You know, I did a needs assessment. I wrote a project proposal. We got the money in, and we went down, and we delivered the aid to these incredibly happy people. But then it all went wrong. I hadn't stopped to talk to God about it, and I buried that nagging doubt that I had that maybe this wasn't 
the right thing to do, or maybe I hadn't gone about it the right way. And I hadn't listened very closely to the people around me who knew a lot better than I did about you know, what we were planning on doing. And what happened was, and the reality was, the amount of food that we, got, that we were giving to these people was more than they would have harvested from their land in a year anyway. Uh, there were desperately poor people in other parts of the village who hadn't had the misfortune or, dare I say, fortune uh, to have their house damaged, and they didn't get anything. So they were not only still desperately poor, they were now poor and resentful. And a village that had already been struggling with conflict was now divided almost literally down the middle by this mudslide. But God is good, and he can turn every situation to his glory. Um, he, the first point was that I realized where I had gone wrong, and as these reports began coming in, you know, that was the first wake-up call. And we went back to the village, and we went around, and we apologized. That was the first thing. We repented um, to the people there, and, and that just does not happen in that culture. It's totally a shame and honor culture, and, and that just doesn't happen. So that spoke volumes. Um, we... Uh, and we even got to the stage where we were able to uh, have, run a peacemaking course in that village and with some people who lived in that village elsewhere uh, to talk about reconciliation. God was glorified at the end of the day, and we were able to continue working in that village and carry on the long-term development that we've been doing with them. But I had learned a valuable lesson in the process about pressing into God. The course correction in that case required repentance on my side. It required humility. It required um, grace towards myself. I had to forgive myself that I had ignored what God was telling me. But so importantly, I had my community around me to, to take me through this as well. You know, we had a team on the ground, and I had my staff team who, who knew the culture much better than I did, and they were able to, they had the compassion on me and the humility to say, actually, let's, let's try and move this forward. Let's try and uh, make a difference despite the damage that we've caused. And that's a picture of the lake that was caused uh, behind the dam. And then this is a chap in Booney who we're giving aid to. But he actually got some aid. Um, I'm not very happy about it. Um, so, maybe it wasn't very nice. <laughs> um, so, so how can we get back on track? Or, or how can we even avoid going off rogue in the first place? Well, we can refocus on Jesus. And I'll go through these in a, in a bit more detail, each of them. But, but really, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Is it not? Worship puts us in our place and God in his place. Then I'd say refocusing on whom we've been sent to. Who is it that, that that calling was initially for? Then getting community, having that group of people around you who can support you through your calling. And then dreaming big, keeping that intentionality, keeping that big picture, that expectation of all God can achieve through you. So let's get back to Peter. Um, as we said, it starts well. Peter asks for Jesus' um, Jesus's call to get out of the boat. Uh, and you can, imagine, you can imagine sort of roughly how it might have gone. You know, Peter's there. He's got his eyes fixed on Jesus. You know, they're look, probably looking into each other's eyes across the waves. And he's going, 
this is, this is going really well. This is brilliant. Jesus is brilliant. Look, there he is. I'm quite brilliant. Hey, I wonder what I can see from here. Oh, there's my house. Oh, lads, look, look. I'm on a boat. And I was on a boat, and now I'm walking. Can you believe it? I'm walking in the water? This is great. This is great. Whoa, look at those waves. Oh, my goodness. What am I doing? What am I, I'm going to die. And at which point... His faith, which had been so strong 20 seconds earlier, is now sinking to the bottom of the lake along with the rest of him. Now, Jesus returns. Jesus is compassionate, isn't he? He comes up. He rescues him first. He doesn't leave him there drowning. He corrects him, and then he calms the storm. And at that point, the disciples get on their knees, and they're worshipping As I discovered in Tajikistan, when we take our eyes off Jesus, we lose sight of the one who sent us and the one who empowers us to go. But we also lose sight of the one who went before us. Now, it's quite a common phrase when you're going out on some sort of mission or other to say, oh, I'm taking Jesus to the fill in the gap. And in one sense, we are. We're taking his good news to those who might not have yet heard it. Um, we are working to G- with Jesus to bring his kingdom in some way, shape, or form in a place where you know, it hasn't been in, in that exact way before. We might be going to minister to people who are desperately um, struggling uh, emotionally, spiritually, uh, materially, and taking them, them that help. But we can, you can guarantee that Jesus was there before you maybe millennia before you, working with those people, and you're just part of that story. Now, in Tadikistan, we had the opportunity to worship in places where Christians may never have worshipped before, and, um, and we felt compelled to do that by the Holy Spirit, and that was amazing. We didn't see all the fruit that we hoped to see in Tajikistan when we were there, um, but during our time there, we were constantly reminded that Jesus had already been there and he'd be there after we went. Secondly, who have you been sent to? Now, Jesus was all about the people, wasn't he? Whether it's Romans, Gentiles, Samaritans, Jews, yes, he was a carpenter. Yes, he ended up in full-time Christian ministry, but it was never about the job. It was about the people. Now, most of my working life, I've been very fortunate to work for charities who have ministered to some of the, you know, the, the poorest people in the world. But it's always disturbed me how easily I can get distracted by a spreadsheet or a project proposal and not see the person at the end of the process. And I'd really encourage you uh, to ask, ask God to show you how he sees the people that you have been called to and to ask him to, to help your burn, bones to burn for them. Ask him what he's doing with them and how he wants you to join, join him on that journey. It could be fellow students, it could be kids at school, it could be patients, colleagues, customers or friends. We're all called to people in places, not just the places. But there's a bit of a health warning here too. It's possible to take on the pain and the suffering and the emotions of the people that we've been sent to in such a way that we don't share it with God 
and it becomes too much. It can become debilitating, it can, become, it can cause us to burn out. So refocusing on Jesus and talking to your community about this stuff is, is really key. Jesus only did what he saw his father doing, and we need to do likewise. Just as an aside, we're also all called to the nations. Now, I know so many of you in this family are connected to something going on overseas, and it's amazing. It could be Karis Kids, it could be supporting global partners, it could be Military Ministries International, rescuing Afghans, supporting Ukrainians. It is just, it's just amazing. And it just shows that the calling to the nations doesn't mean you actually have to leave Winchester or Southampton or wherever you're from today. And today you have a, another great opportunity to, to sow into what God is doing um, by giving finances. There's also a prayer meeting in the church like set up just for praying for global partners and for unreached peoples. So the next one's two weeks on Monday and Josh and Amy are going to be lead, leading it. So it, you know, it's, it's going to be fantastic. I really encourage you to, to plug into that. When we were in Tajikistan, we were surrounded by an amazing group of people who carried us through in so many ways. Um, you know, we helped each other, we shared with each other, prayed with each other, and we all worked together. And it was so crucial to have this group because when you're overseas, you're, you're by definition a long way from home, aren't you? And you don't have to be in the middle of the mountains in a place few people have heard of to feel like you are. And that could be the same for living in Winchester. So the support of your team is key, but also the support of your family at home. And, and for the global partners, that's us, guys. And I, and I did talk to some of them before this session and ask them what top five things they um, you know, uh, sort of paid attention to and, and things that helped them stay on track. And uh, the three couples I spoke to, they all agreed that focusing on Jesus and time with him was really key. Um, they expressed that community and their team where they were were important. Um, they expressed that support from others in partner churches, i.e. guys, was, was really important too. And, and that wasn't just prayer, but it was knowing that people were rooting for them and then the financial side as well. And then remembering that their story, remembering how God had called them and his promises to them and the people that they're being called to. And I'd really encourage you with your life groups. These are great places that you can get people to ask you some difficult questions. You know, what have you been called to do? How's it going? Um, and, and to help keep you on track. So finally, dreaming big. Now, if you've heard me speak before, you've probably heard me uh, repeat this quote, but I just love it, so I'm going to do it again. Um, and this is T. Lawrence, i.e. Lawrence of Arabia, and he said, all, me, all men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds wake up in, in the day to find that it is vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men or women, for they may act on their dreams with open eyes and make them possible. Just love that. Jack London wrote, the proper function of man is to live, not to exist. I won't waste my days in trying to prolong them. I'll use my time. And 
You know, it might be that you're in a place where you don't quite see where it's going. I mean, the, the job that I'm in at the moment, despite it being very interesting, and particularly in the last two weeks, if you know what I do, um, is, is definitely an answer to prayer. God gave me this job. I really believe it. But how it fits into God's big plan for my life, I, I don't quite get it. But I know what my larger calling is, and that's to live for God every day where he's put me. I'm just going to read very quickly a, um, a story of a man. See if you can guess who it is as I go through. I hope it encourages you. So uh, this man uh, made a disastrous first attempt in the world of business. He switched to politics. But within only one year, that didn't work out either. He tried his hand for a second time at business, but failed again. That meant three failures in three years. He proposed to his fiancée after four years of courtship, but she turned him down. Another woman he was courting died sometime later. All these pressures, le pressures led to a nervous breakdown, which required two years of convalescence, after which he relaunched his aborted political career with a bid to be elected as Speaker of the House of Representatives. He failed. It was again, he was again defeated two years later for the position of elector. Another three years after this, he was defeated as he ran for a seat in Congress. Another five years passed before he sought office again, but was defeated. Tragically, his four-year-old son died during this time. That led to seven years in the wilderness before running for the Senate, to no avail. Things looked more positive for the following year when he was nominated by his party as their vice presidential candidate. But his running mate and himself were defeated in the general election. He failed two years later when trying again for a seat in the Senate. However, another two years later, in 1860, after 24 years, 24 years of dogged perseverance, Abraham Lincoln was elected the 16th President of the United States of America. Abraham Lincoln and Peter did not give up when they got knocked back or when they went off track a bit. And sometimes it's difficult to keep forging on and staying on mission when you're not sure exactly what your calling might be, or, you know, what's going on. But as Peter showed us so well, going rogue can lead to disaster, but God is always there to pull us back up again. The shepherd chose his sheepdog, knowing that he could and probably would go rogue, and he did, rather than using the quad bike, which doesn't tend to go rogue. But similarly, our father chooses us, knowing exactly what we're capable of achieving for him, but also that it doesn't always go quite according to plan. Now, I don't know if this resonates with anyone here today. Perhaps not. That's fine. But we're about to go into the holidays, and for some of us, life doesn't change very much. For some of us, it gets bigger, uh, busier and bigger. But for many of us, the routine does change a bit. And there might be a moment in that flux that you can take some time for yourself and seek God once again. Ask him to challenge your motives and refresh your passion. And also, we'd love to have a chance to pray for you today as well. So if, if, that's, if the Holy Spirit's been saying anything to you today, I really encourage you to come up and get prayer. And we'll be praying for the global partners as well. So 